0: Welcome to the Caroline Gleick Show, where we talk about adventure and activism and how sports can change the world. Support for the Caroline Gleick Show and Stoke-fueled adventure seekers everywhere comes from Icon Pass. From this spring to next winter, the mountains are where the Stoke lives. These are the moments that, when we own them, we own them forever. On sale now for the 21-22 season, own the Stoke at iconpass.com. Claire Smallwood, I'm super excited to chat with you today. You are the She Jumps Executive Director. You have ties to Taos, Alta, and Canada. You're a free skier, executive director, and co founder of She Jumps, which is an awesome women's outdoor recreation focused nonprofit organization that facilitates the participation of women and girls in outdoor activities through free and low cost outdoor education. Claire, you were born in Santa Fe, New Mexico, to a family of ranchers, entrepreneurs, and farmers. And you're a graduate of Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon. And you founded She Jumps with Lindsay Dyer and Vanessa Pierce. And um, you were also awarded a $10,000 Everyday Heroes grant from ESPN Women. So there's a little bio, a little background. And I've known you for like, what, 10, 15 years now? Easily. Yeah,
1: it's been a long time. It was right when I think I met you right when I first moved to Utah in 2008. And gosh, the the ski industry has changed a lot. I'm sure we'll chat about that. But since a long time ago.
0: Yeah, it's been so long. I remember skiing with you at Elta and um, working together. I did a little bit of volunteering, not as much as some of the other women with your She Jumps program um, with the Big Brothers Big Sisters program at Elta.
1: Yeah, and we worked, yeah, we. Um, that was amazing having your help. And there was actually so many other really cool, I mean, Little Cottonwood Canyon has so many professional skiers in it. And so it's actually been really neat over the years. We've had a lot of pro skiers come through and help us with that program, doing outreach for local um, Boys and Girls Club kids and getting them, and Big Brothers, Big Sisters. We work with an immigrant and refugee organization as well. Um, Rachel Burks has been a big volunteer. We've had Kaylin Thorian, Cody Barnhill. Uh, geez, the list goes on. We're really lucky, Julian Carr in Utah to have so many pro skiers, but we really appreciated you being there. It was awesome, Caroline.
0: Yeah, it was a really powerful experience. So where are you now? And yeah, give us a little update. I am currently in
1: Fernie, British Columbia, um, <laughs> which is a very small town in the Kootenays uh the Canadian, south part of the Canadian Rockies, just over the border from Whitefish, Montana.
0: That's awesome. And so uh, so you grew up in Santa Fe, right?
1: Yes. How did I get to Canada?
0: Yeah. How did you get to Canada? <laughs> Tell me about your journey and all the places that you skied along the way. Just continue to follow the Rockies further north. No. Um,
1: so yeah, I was born and raised in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which I love Santa Fe so much and I miss it all the time and basically went to college in Portland. Skiing has always been a huge part of my identity and everything that's driven all of my decisions in life. And, um, long story long, I basically was traveling in Chile and Argentina, met my now husband. Um, we fell in love. We did a lot of long distance. That was when I was living in Utah and, uh, two and a half years ago we finally just decided let's move back to canada and so actually just last week i got my permanent residency here which is really exciting and these days with um, you know the internet you can work from anywhere so i run she jumps remotely from fernie and it's just this beautiful little small town uh, it was a big difference from salt lake city going from living in a major city to living in a town of 5000 people is definitely a bit of a shift and with covid it's certainly been kind of interesting but I'm starting to speak a bit of Canadian I say progress sometimes instead of progress and just trying to blend in a bit. <laughs>
0: I noticed I noticed that when we were first talking because uh you know I grew up in Minnesota so I kind of think of myself as like almost Canadian (laughs) but I have a few like funny quirks especially when I'm really tired or if I'm a little tipsy like my Minnesotan definitely comes out and I could I heard it when we were first talking and I think that's awesome um I'm super jealous that you have your Canadian residency now because that's one of the places I've missed most during COVID times is not having the ability to go up there so where did you first learn to ski or ride?
1: I grew up skiing at Santa Fe, New Ski Santa Fe is what it's called. (laughs) That's the the name of the ski area outside of Santa Fe and um, did spend some time skiing and riding uh, Taos growing up too. Uh, That's actually where I did my first ever free ride competition in 2005, was at the first New Mexico Extreme Skiing Championships a long time ago, (laughs) feels like a really long time ago. And my stepmom, Dot, actually who's from England, is who taught me how to ski when I was five, But nobody in my family really was into skiing like we just went once and so it was when I went um, and did a school subsidized program of like through the Santa Fe public school system that I actually learned kind of more about skiing and like that was kind of when I first got really, really into it because I realized you could kind of do this thing with your friends and it was really special.
0: And your brother's a big skier too.
1: Yeah. My older brother, Joey, he's definitely always been a huge inspiration of mine. Um, he also got into skiing kind of through the similar way. And so we were really self-guided through that whole experience. Like we, you know, saved all our money up to buy all our own equipment, our own lift tickets. That was kind of, our family was like, well, if you want to do it, you got to figure it out. And, um, my older brother, he is who started the free ride competition scene. And so he's like, he inspired me to do it. He was like, yeah, you should come try it out. And I feel like that was kind of back in some golden years of those free skiing comps because it was the community was just, there wasn't nearly as much money in it. (laughs) Even if you won comps, you probably still went into debt overall. But yeah, my brother, Joey is a huge skiing inspiration.
0: So Taos, uh, like that's such an amazing mountain to cut your teeth at. Can you tell me more like about the terrain, your favorite runs and like how that influenced your style of skiing? Yeah. So New
1: Mexico, a lot of people don't realize how high altitude New Mexico is. Super high. I know you've skied down there as well. And so part of the deal with New Mexico is it's kind of feast or famine. I mean, there's really thin snow years and then there's years when it's really amazing skiing. And so because of that, you learn to become a really technical skier. The trees are really, really tight as well. Um, And all the terrain is pretty steep and your snow is just a really um, continental snowpack. So thin, rocky, dry. So it's, you know, it's not like sticking to everything necessarily. So you kind of just get comfortable skiing with a lot of rocks around you, I guess you could say. Um, and specifically at Taos, you know, the hike to terrain in the West Basin is so amazing and and steep and, and really quick laps too, which I think is really special. Plus you're getting this amazing exercise of hiking at 12,000 feet. So you're really feeling like you're in the elements. And I think that that, um, kind of spiritual connection as well with just the way that your body reacts at high altitudes to just exercise and the way it pumps everything in your body to make you feel so alive. I think that was a really special way to get into skiing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it reminds me a lot of Elta, which is another place you spend a lot of time. But I feel like Elta. And then I went to Talos when I was like a really little girl. And then I went back as an adult. And Those kinds of mountains, they really were like a gateway for me to get into more ski mountaineering because it's like the mission is like to climb the big mountains. And I loved what you described about like that spiritual experience, because going to high altitude, it's like you have to really disconnect from the ego, you know, because like you're normal. It's just hard to breathe. Like it's hard to exist. Everything is harder. And so it's like you can't measure yourself by the same metrics. And I think being able to like remove the ego a little bit and have that sort of humbling experience, it's a really good just lesson for life.
1: Absolutely. I have to say though, in Taos too, especially when they add, even though they added the chairlift up the top of Kachina Peak, um, you still, I I really encourage people if they can to hike it just to have the experience. Because it is such a, I mean, it's definitely in terms of hikes go, it's a longer one and you're at high altitude and you have that really like, yeah, you just kind of have that a whole a longer approach to really consider how you want your run down to be, which I know as you backcountry ski, obviously, and mountaineer and all those things, you have so much time to think about what you want that experience to be like. And in New Mexico, especially because it is feast or famine with the winters, I feel like when it's on, you're so tuned in and you're just, you're in it and you really, really are excited.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Taos is just like such an inspirational mountain. So what's your first memory of being stoked on the mountain?
1: Okay. I thought about this um, quite a bit when you told me you're, you asked asking me this ahead of time a little bit. And I was like, okay, stoked. If the whole thing is going to be about stoke and we want to talk about stoke, I was like trying to really think back to like the most formative memory. And funny enough, I was doing my school program and my friend, my now friend, Justin Bob, who actually went on to win, he's uh, been a competitive free ride snowboarder. Um, he was even on, on Taos patrol as a snowboarder, but he and I grew up, we were neighbors and we also went to, um, yeah, we went to elementary school together anyway. So I just remember being kind of like competitive with him. And I remember like, he's such a better snowboarder, like he's really fast and he'd been snowboarding for a long time. I just remember looking across this run we were doing together one day and being like, oh my gosh, I'm keeping up with him. I'm keeping up with him. I can do it. I can be him down to the bottom of the mountain. And I didn't, but it just really fueled me for this feeling of like, oh, it's cool. You can push yourself. You're with your friends. It's having fun. But there really wasn't like a finish line or a blue ribbon that was given, which is really cool. And I love that about skiing because it means that there's not you can't be like bad at it. <laughs> I mean, you can, but it's all about just if you're having fun. And I think that's like what has, that memory has really driven me forward.
0: That is so cool. Yeah. I remember a lot of a, like similar experiences with my old, I have two older brothers and one younger brother and being able to ski faster or better than them. Like when I got to that point, that was a really good feeling for me. <laughs> I think I'm still just trying to like recreate that childhood memory, you know, in my career now every day, just I want to be better than the guys.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. And you probably are faster than them now. I would just go ahead and guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a better skier than my brothers now, but I still really want to like push myself to do things with skiing that like I want to try to figure out more projects that like no one has ever done and put my own spin on it. So I like still struggle sort of with like that perfectionism and that drive to I still feel like I have a lot left I want to do with skiing. Yeah. I think that's a cool thing about it though. It is like such an awesome lifelong sport is that no matter what age you can always like set new goals and make new, make new project ideas, I guess. <laughs>
1: no, I love that part of it. And actually like also the fact that you can be friends with anyone who's a skier, you have a connection with someone who has spent that time on the mountain, whether, no matter how good they are at skiing, like you can share that connection. And I think that's been a, a big driving force for ski jumps as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think skiing gives to you now in your life? Like what does it provide to you?
1: I think it's really changed through the years. I'm sure maybe you can relate with that. It's like, you know, in different parts of your life. It can mean different things. Like in, it could be, you know, an escape or it can be, um, you know, I think more than anything, it's a part of my identity. And I guess what I mean by that is, um, like when I was younger, It was really important to me that when I was in high school and college, like people knew I was a skier. Like that was really important to me because it made me feel a bit different. It made me feel like I had this way to express myself even, um, yeah, just like through this really deep passion. And I wanted people to, to experience that as well. And I was always really excited to try to bring people along for that. And so I think that what it gives to me now though, is kind of this like kind of constant opportunity to renew. So every time you click into your skis, you you have this chance to kind of check in with yourself and remember that it's going to change, right? There's going to be great days that you have on skis. And then there's going to be days when you like, aren't having that great of a day. And I like the fact that because it's been such a lifelong passion of mine, I'm able to really use that as a grounding experience for just figuring out maybe something else that's going on in my life Um, or a way like I want to maybe check in with something deeper. Um, But back to your point about making goals, it also is like a great way to be like, all right, no, it's time to push yourself. Like you can do this. You've been here, you know? time to step
0: it up. Yeah, it's so interesting like how that relationship changes over the years because I think when I was younger and especially like, you know, I think we sort of came about like we kind of came of age in like this golden era of like free skiing and ski mountaineering and big mountain skiing. And I think when I was starting, I really used it kind of as an escape and as like sometimes in an unhealthy way as like a drug. And um, I think that's part of the appeal is it is like such a powerful it's a powerful, like mixture of neurotransmitters, like the dopamine and the adrenaline and the endorphins and all these huge, like rushes you get. And now I think, um, I think I use it in a much more healthy way now where I'm like, uh, more strategic in how I approach it. And I don't use it as an escape, but rather as a way to remember who I am, if that makes sense. No, totally.
1: Yeah. And it makes perfect sense because it's physical and yet spiritual.
0: Yeah,
1: And I mean, and, um, and she jumps in some of our courses we talk about in our ski mountaineering courses and stuff, and you're probably well aware of this, but this idea of like conscious incompetence, like when you don't, you finally know that you don't know something, but then sometimes when you've been skiing so long, you're, you're, you're competent, you know, you don't have to think about like turning on the mountain. You're good enough at doing all that. And kind of the way that that actually allows you to transcend into that deeper spiritual place because you kind of have that physical background. So I like that it's very it's mental, but it's physical and it can change and all that kind of stuff. I I love that.
0: Yeah. My relationship with risk has definitely changed, too, with the pandemic and after ACL. And so it's like I don't feel as invincible as I did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like 10 years ago, it's like a little bit harder for me to want to get, I don't know, I, I find myself like wanting to just go tour or go to a place where I know I'm just going to have a fun time rather than like wanting to push myself on the steepest stuff. At least that's where I am right now.
1: I feel you on that, especially because um I've, I've been through a lot of injuries myself. And actually in a couple of weeks, I'm getting another scope on my knee. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, it can be very frustrating if you try to hold yourself to that same standard that you were you know, 10 years ago or 10 days ago, like you have different information and different things going on. And I think that that's like, you know, that being in the present moment, being in the flow state and that ability, once you've honed in on your skill skiing to like, be able to just say, you know what? Today, I just really want to just cruise. I just want to have a great time. And I think that's fine as long as we give ourselves permission to do that.
0: Yeah, like I want to have, what is it, type one fun. Like I don't want to have type two or three. I just want to go and have fun today. I think, yeah, sometimes it's hard for me because I feel like I have to still prove myself or like hold myself to this other weird standard but I think to give yeah at different phases of our lives you know our relationship with risk and and our goals with skiing change and so I'm trying to be to practice more um, self-compassion and acceptance (laughs) but it's hard especially like in the masculine kind of structure that skiing is absolutely I guess you know like being a professional athlete or being someone like in the industry like you are, I feel like sometimes so many of our metrics around leadership are these masculine, more masculine kind of metrics. And so um, it can be hard sometimes, I think, to allow for, I don't know, just a different metric for success.
1: I subscribe to the um, Sonia Renee Taylor thought process of radical self-love, which basically is kind of this idea that You know, we just can divest ourselves from the systems that tell us we're not enough. And for me, and I think for so many women, when you go outside, you get a chance to reset that narrative. And we're constantly told as women, I feel this way, at least like you're not good enough. Like if you look at the grocery store and you're like walking on aisle and you look at all the magazines, it's like 100 ways to be better than you are. And you're like, why am I not enough? As I am, like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. I feel happy. And we're told by all these other messages. So I love that when we're skiing, we're in control. We feel beautiful. Like you can't even tell if someone's a man or a woman skiing or anyone like any identity. So I love that it's like that kind of anonymity of the reset.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The androgyny too. Well, this is a nice segue into the work that you're doing with she jumps because like as a young woman, I, especially when I was like a teenager, I really, really struggled with like body image and depression. And I mean, I still struggle with some of those things, but I always found skiing to be a place where I could find like a feeling of badassery and like assertiveness and power, like the sense of personal power that Skeen gave me was like, tr- is, continues to be transformative in my life. And so I love what you're doing with She Jumps. And so, where did the idea of starting She Jumps come from? Like, I'm really curious to hear about the origin story.
1: Yes, the origin story is actually, it's amazing. It doesn't involve me at all. It's actually, um, a lot of folks, um, well, it's kind of funny because there's definitely like there's, she jumps the concept and the idea and the way that that's morphed into the organization that it is today. I think are that's are, really an interesting kind of story. So Lindsay um, and Vanessa, Lindsay Dyer and Vanessa Pierce, uh, they met each other in Jackson. Vanessa was a writer at the time. Lindsay, in addition to being a skier, is a, a professional skier, is an amazing photographer, artist, designer, illustrator, et cetera. And so they both kind of had this dual passion that was like, we should take women's, we should like write profiles and take profile photos of women that are just would never be celebrated in the outdoors. And we should find a space to celebrate them. And then, um, I kind of simultaneously met both of them at Lindsay at a, the free skiing comp in Taos in 2005, I think, and then met. Vanessa as well that summer separately. And so then the three of us ended up connecting in Jackson Hole and we talked about how are we going to make this into something that more women can tap into, besides it just being maybe a blog that's celebrating women, because we had all come from different backgrounds that were team sports led. So we all played soccer essentially, and we all loved that camaraderie on the soccer team, but we couldn't find it in the outdoors as much. All of us kind of felt like we saw we we either were or we knew token women in groups of men that would go out and do things, right? And no one was ever like giving them high fives or telling them like, oh, you're pretty good for a girl. It was just kind of like, yeah, it's the chick that comes with us or so-and-so's girlfriend. And it kind of felt like we just were kind of trying to connect the dots between all of these women and create a space where they could come together and where we as a community could come together and to celebrate that. And operationalizing that into like an actual nonprofit is a lot of work. (laughs) <laughs> and it's gone through many iterations. Um, and so kind of one of our first one of our first board members, Liz Cunningham, actually came up with this great phrase that helped us to guide us so much in the first few years, especially as we were so grassroots and we had, everyone had other jobs, like no one was getting paid to do it. So it was really hard to kind of like take this really um, enigmatic kind of concept and idea and mold it into something that someone could wrap their head around, right? And so her idea was to call it jump in, jump up, jump out. So the whole idea of she jumps being a metaphor, but jump in to try something new. And so that's where we have these programs that are like for beginners, never ever's. you know, people have never done anything before jump up is to challenge yourself, to really push yourself in that moment to get better. And then to jump out, which is to give back and share and like share your passion for something and share it with someone who is less fortunate or needs your help. And so that really helped us to kind of wrap our heads around um you know just building out programs from there and i think again the organization has evolved so much since those early days, but that's kind of where it all started.
0: Well, it is absolutely incredible now. I mean, that was 16 years ago, right? And almost, uh, almost, a little less, 15. Oh, 14, we're in our 14. 14th year, 14, okay. but almost. 14. Yeah. That's incredible because I mean, I remember kind of, I was like also up and coming in my career around the time you were starting and I was really looked up to you and Uh-oh. yeah. And to Lindsay, obviously, and Vanessa and it's so cool now to see how much it's grown, and it like that you've also had like the stick to itiveness because a lot of nonprofits they don't they're not around that long, and so it's it's absolutely incredible, and like the vision and leadership that you've created and the the programs that you've created, it's been so awesome to see.
1: Thank you so much. That means so much to me to hear from you, Caroline. And in the same way, I love the fact that you and I it was parallel process. You were. Um, you know, one of just a few athletes really like back then, think about it, like there weren't that many female skiers in the industry. And, you know, that idea of like how much you had to fight to be seen and to be recognized and to be understood and taken seriously. And we felt that too, as a nonprofit, people were like, we already make a woman's ski. What more do you want? And it was like this one size fits all approach that, just didn't work. And so I think in so the same way, we were just all part of a team that was pushing, um, you know, for what it is today.
0: Yeah. You know, going back to what you were talking about with like the tokenism and in, in, in skiing. Um, like I remember the, one of my first like breaks, I guess was being invited to film with Warren Miller in 2012 for um, the children of winter film, I believe. And it was like later in the season that they contacted me because Rachel Burks got hurt and they're like we need another woman to step in and it's so depressing that so many of the opportunities like in my early career even to this day like that they had to come about that way like that there's not enough they have like eight dudes out filming every day but why is there just one woman it would be so much easier if there were two or three of us like having another woman in the backcountry or in the mountains or on a film set it changes everything with the dynamics like it can be really difficult to be the only one and so it still like breaks my heart that that it makes me feel like such a bad person too you know cuz you'd never want to celebrate someone else's injury like <laughs> like not that i did i mean i still yeah. like i felt awful but then it did give me this opportunity and it's just such a bittersweet way to get that kind of break like it doesn't uh, make you feel that good about it cuz you're like oh my success had to come from someone else's downfall
1: Or, yeah, just the very fact that, you know, they're not understanding that just the economics of it is that, you know, all these film companies would say stuff like, well, there's not enough, you know, good women skiers. And it's like, well, how do you think there will ever be enough if you're not even showing that it's a possibility for someone to ever get there? Like, to even show that there's room at the table for more people to be there. So people give up on their dreams because they think, oh, this isn't going to go anywhere because no one's ever going to invest in it. And that pipeline is like, Really has to be invested in from an early stage in, in the industry.
0: A brand new season unlocked, the promise of adventure ahead, and endless stoke on the horizon. Own it all with Icon Pass. 2122 is on sale now. Own the season, own the stories. Own the stoke for 2122 across more than 40 unique Icon Pass destinations. From the second you score your pass and stake your claim to the season, you've got an entire winter of sweet stuff to look forward to. Lock in the lowest prices of the year with exclusive spring savings, including renewal discounts, immediate spring access at participating destinations, and discounts on passes for kids. As with last year, every Icon Pass comes with adventure assurance, including credits in the case of COVID-19 closures and the option to defer the value of an unused pass. No questions asked. Whether you ride four days next winter or whether you carve out over 20, every moment spent in the mountains is a new opportunity for discovery and connection. Connection to the mountains, connection to each other, and a deeper connection to the stoke that lives in all of us from $3.99 Adult Discover Pass Options and own the Stoke at iconpass.com. Well, we've made great gains in snow sports. I still see that like there could be a whole lot more funding and opportunities for women, especially like on the film production side um i mean it's interesting how much it's changed with social media too yeah i mean in a lot of ways i'm pretty grateful to social media because instead of like relying back in the day you know when i started in 2004 i had to rely on like the photographers to take it was we used to shoot on film when i started and so you'd have to like wait for the film to be (laughs) developed and like hopefully dave reddick at powder would like see one of your images and like put you in the magazine but now it's nice to have the opportunity to tell a story the way that we want to tell it.
1: Exactly. People are more in charge of their own narrative, their own storylines, create their own media. I love that. And it also shows that you have to put the work in to do that as well, which has been really motivating because I think it just, again, back to the whole idea of like making room at the table um, you know, women are able to feed off of each other. Be like, okay, that's really cool. Like, I wanna, I can do that too, or I'm so inspired. And we just wouldn't even know what was else was out there back in the early 2000s. You didn't, you had to like really like know what, where to look and what magazines, and tell everyone to shut up at the one point in the movie when a woman was gonna come on the screen. It's the one. It's Allison Gannett's part. Everyone, shut up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I remember that.
0: Totally. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting how the dynamics and everything have changed and how it's allowed us to kind of like find our people. I mean, I feel like I've, like reading people's stories the way they want to tell them has really like allowed me to find to curate like more of my own network and I think it's been really nice in that way to kind of more like cherry pick who I want to like surround myself and what stories I want to you know just uh, yeah it's it's kind of nice in that way I mean there's obviously a lot of downfalls of social media too but um but But I think there's some good things too so there's some good things for for sure for women in sports there's some really good things so how has She Jumps grown
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I think She Jumps has grown a lot in the last uh, basically 13, um, 14 years. Um, so kind of to put things in perspective, like when we first started, I mean, we basically, people would just email me and be like, Hey, I want to host this event. I'd be like, cool. Here's some stickers. Let's grab some email addresses. I mean, and that was a long time ago. Right. And then now we have, um, Wow. Okay. So basically annually on av- on average, we impact about 8,000 women and girls through our programs and our, our events. We have a team of 165 volunteers. And when I say volunteers, I mean, these people go through an extensive six to eight week training where they learn um, diversity, equity, inclusion work and training, and as well as uh, event training and risk management. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, kind of being a steward of the mission and storytelling. So it's really like they go through a lot of this training and then in their in their communities, which we're in 22 states um, coast to coast, we're trying to grow more in the Midwest. That's kind of a bit of a gap for us, but um, really, really from the Pacific coast all the way to the East coast, we're, we're in a lot of those communities. And then these volunteers host those programs and events that then get women and girls outside in their communities, which is really cool. So we've certainly grown a lot. We've got to do about 200 events per year. Um, and we only have a staff of three people. So this is a, we're pretty lean, um, definitely looking to grow and and become a more sustainable nonprofit. But what we learned through all this, Caroline, is really that the interest and the hunger is there. If we have more resources, there is, there are women and girls out there that go, I want to be outside, but I don't know how to start, where to start, who to go with. I don't want to mess up. They don't want to see, they don't want to feel like they're going to make a mistake. And that fear of kind of failing, I think, is something that holds a lot of women back even in your everyday life. And so that's why some of our skills might feel very technical. Like we teach people how to use a compass and read a map and those kinds of things. But all of those skills do end up translating into everyday life. And so that's something that I think we really try to focus more on as we grow is that we're not just, oh, let's go hike mountains and get blisters and get sweaty, which is fun but also let's help you to really get the most out of your life.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many parallels that you can learn from sports that apply into leadership in so many different ways of life. But but when you're one of few women in mountain sports, like when you take on something and you fail, sometimes you feel like you are failing for all women. So it's like this extra weird burden. I think that's, again, another one of the unfair things. So, um, so that's super cool. And it's so awesome to see like the vision and leadership and how many women that you reach. And I see so many of your stickers all over the mountain. So can you tell me a little bit about your logo and where that came from?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Lindsay Dyer, our creative genius, she created the Girafficorn, which is um, half unicorn, half giraffe, but all magic. (laughs) And the Girafficorn represents keeping your feet on the ground, but your head in the clouds above chaos and drama. And the unicorn horn reminds you to just always believe in magic and that that's kind of part of this whole concept of just believing in yourself, sticking your neck out a little bit. Sometimes you got to take risks. The giraffe horn is also kind of, um, you know, it's awkward. It's got these like kind of awkward legs and it's sticking its neck out. I don't know. It's It's kind of meant to just celebrate that spirit that's inside all of us that feels sometimes You know, I don't know if anyone listening to this has ever tried to skate ski, but that's definitely one of those things where you feel a bit like a giraffe on skates, (laughs) so to speak. So yeah, yeah, the giraffe corn is a huge part of our fundraising too. We sell merchandise on our website and some people don't even really know what she jumps is and they just see the logo and they go, oh my God, that's so cool. I want that, which that's been a huge um, ability for us to be able to fundraise, to sustain our programs and events.
0: Cool. Um, so, speaking of other ways that I've seen She Jumps lately, I learned about the She Jumps and Icon Pass Scholarship Program this year um, through Janelle and Dione and a few of your other recipients. So, can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about that program. That has been one of the coolest things. So basically a couple of years ago, we had a couple of icon passes donated. And then this last year, we started a, a broader more national based partnership with icon where we gave 10 icon passes to women of color. And in addition to the passes, we also gave them a pair of skis and, um, bindings. So basically we were trying to like kind of, kind of trying to think through, you know, what are the things that are missing to back to this whole question we've been saying like how do we get how do women ski how do they find skiing what power do they find in skiing like well for She jumps we really think about how we can be addressing the most marginalized people in society and specifically women of color to uplift them and so this icon pass scholarship is an opportunity for us to say hey you belong in the mountains we want to give you this the the resources to get to the mountains to be there and then part of our you know ski jumps programming is that we also have an element of our Snowpack Scholarship where people can apply to learn avalanche education, and you can um, apply for a full Avalanche uh, area Level One um, scholarship. So the idea is is they can get some of the skills, um, you know, to master skiing. And then apply later on when they're ready to take that next step to the backcountry and also gain the skills they're needed for for explore, exploration.
0: Well, it is so cool on so many different levels because first of all, like we have a lot of work to do in the ski industry to make it more inclusive and to highlight people of color to make them welcome and to make it just more inclusive and welcoming. And so, like it's awesome the visibility and the representation that you're providing and just like that welcoming hand, like hey, come on in, like you're welcome here and we i think it's going to have a huge reverberating effect and then secondly it's awesome that you have a track for women to get to higher levels because with skiing like i've seen a lot of programs over the years for women at like introductory levels but i really believe in order to create a lasting change that we need to get women into the highest positions of leadership in snow sports Um, And I also just love how that ties into the environmental movement, because as I've been on a track and journey as an environmental activist, I've also been really passionate about gender equality and seeing now how much these social and environmental issues are connected. And so I think that, you know, in order to get people to care about the environment. It's awesome to be able to go out and just have fun in the outdoors, you know, because a lot of people from underrepresented communities don't have that like experience of having fun in nature. And so I think it's going to have like great impacts in all those ways, like on gender equality, environmental and um, yeah, in so many different ways. So it's awesome what you're doing with that. And let me know, how, keep in touch about how I and also listeners can support that program and these other programs you're doing. Like what is the best way for for people to support you?
1: I mean, really, um obviously as a nonprofit, donations go a long way. And we actually encourage people just to set up monthly recurring donations of like five to ten dollars because that kind of all filters into our ability to expand these scholarship type programs. We do um we also, you know, we have programs and events online that anyone can access anywhere. So signing up to attend a She Jumps event or even just following us on social media is a great way for you to be tapped into hearing kind of what's going on. And we have different campaigns that happen um, that you can, you know, participate in, especially when it comes to the snowpack one, you know, sharing the application um, process out with people in your community is a great way to spread the word. I mean, there's probably women out there that would love to apply that just don't even know that it exists. And so sharing that out is a, is a great way to support. Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Well, keep me posted because I would love to help amplify that. And um yeah, one of the other things that I've noticed or like I think it's also just research that shows that in you know when women hit their like 30s and 40s especially when they have kids that often their participation in skiing takes a it drops off significantly and so how could we encourage women's participation in skiing at all ages but especially like as they hit like motherhood or not just motherhood but that point in their life where they have to become a caregiver to more people whether it's their own children or or their parents or you know i feel like a lot of that unpaid labor disproportionately falls on the shoulders of women and so what are your ideas there it's something i think about a lot too because i'm like if i become a mom like or if i don't if i just have more responsibilities like i want to make sure that i still go skiing and i want other people too like at all ages so yeah i'm curious
1: I'm yeah, I kind of take that question in a, a couple of different, there's a few different things basically. I feel like like most things, there's not just one answer for how to how to encourage it, but first and foremost, skiing is super expensive. So I think scholarship programs or supporting women's programming at all ages is super important. And I think that ski resorts have a huge responsibility there. Um, because really that's actually part of the second piece for me, which is the narrative of who is a skier. I think that marketing needs to be more representational to say, again, you're welcome here it's not just the badass people that are like jumping off of cliffs or the lonely man at the top of the mountain. Like that is like, that narrative needs to get recycled. Like it's okay. That's, that's not, it doesn't mean that we were bad people to have that narrative in the past, but we have more information now. Let's make our, the narrative more about like, Hey, you know what? Um, You know, just because you haven't skied in a long time, like you can still reignite that passion. And then again, if there's, spaces for learning and for supporting women mostly need community and encouragement i read in some of the studies um, from the national ski area association that a lot of women um, branch like stop skiing because they just don't have anyone to go with they don't have someone else in their family either because maybe their kids are off in a program um or you know in a lot of ways it's just that you know especially if they're in their 60s 70s. It's just that no one's marketing to them, no one's talking to them, no one's no one's extending an invitation out there to those people. And then the last thing I think honestly is making sizing more inclusive of ski clothes because the average woman in the U.S. US is size 14 to 16, and most ski companies like technical outerwear, which if you're going to be comfortable in the outdoors, you know more than anyone, like you have to have good gear. And part of that is like, you need to make it so that they're comfortable to wear those clothes. And of course it's expensive, but at the same time, why are you even going to think about investing in a a pair of ski pants if they don't fit and you don't feel comfortable in them and you don't feel powerful in them?
0: Not to mention when you go to shop and something is not available in your size, whether it's too big or too small, whatever, it's just a really powerful feeling of exclusion. You know, it's like a really powerful signifier, like I'm not welcome here. I don't belong like... I haven't even got on the mountain yet and already like this feels impossible. So yeah. I think like everything you spoke to was so spot on and yeah, the diversity and sizing component is incredibly important, but yeah, the representation too, like ageism is another ism that we need to take action on, I guess, you know, cause. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think a, a lot of it kind of comes down to this, um, the pipeline again of mentorship of leadership, like you said, um, just kind of making sure that we're thinking through, This kind of concept of you can't be what you can't see. So if we don't have someone um, in those positions of leadership, and if that leadership even is, you know, um, like say through ski area marketing and like storylines that they're building, then again, you're not going to be able to see yourself represented. So you'll never think that you belong there. And someone who's actually been a big component, uh, advocate for the Kind of trying to talk with the more 60 plus age group is Connie Marshall, who I know we both know, and she's such an amazing advocate. She's on the board for She Jumps. And Connie, for our listeners here, she's the former marketing director from Alta, and she worked there for 44 years. And in her experience, she saw that change a lot over her years. I mean, they didn't have a maternity leave policy when she had her first kids, you know, in just kinds of those experiences. And now feeling like she was such a part of the ski industry. And then like now she's older and she's like, am I still a part of this? Do I belong here? And that would seem so preposterous for anyone that knows her to think that she would be wondering that. Um, And so that has been a really great voice in my mind for thinking about like, okay, we can't just think about it from one or two angles. We need to be really intersectional to your point about environmental activism and thinking about it, challenging ourselves to really think about it from different angles, all these problems.
0: Yeah. Okay. Just quick side note on Connie. Like when I was building my ski career and I had like zero published photos or anything, I went to Connie and I was like, Hey, I'd love to join the Alta team. Like, you know, I'm up and coming. And she was one of the first people who said yes and believed in me. And that just goes such a long way when most people were telling me no. (laughs) And they were like, Okay, like you're too small or you're not strong enough or you're delirious, you're never going to do all these things. You're Connie was really just always a supporter and believer and so she was like a mother figure, but also just like a really powerful ally and advocate for me on the business end. So um and I hope that you and I Claire can be like old Gray haired women out there on the slopes representing and inviting people in and you know building these coalitions
1: absolutely (laughs) that's going to be us and we still have a few years out but in the meantime we'll just keep doing our work to make it better for everyone which I love we might need to
0: like have a lot of warm up runs for our knees (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) it but yeah we'll be out there for sure and so thinking like in the next, I don't know. I don't always like this question when people ask me this because I'm like, I like to be present. But what gets you stoked on the future of She Jumps? Like, what is your vision?
1: No, I'm glad. Yeah, that's actually thanks for saying that you don't love that question because people are always like, so what? What are She Jumps goals? And you're like, wait, like right now, like today, next month? No, <laughs> five years from now? No, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you asked that question because I think you know for some for so long running a nonprofit is like you can't sometimes see the horizon line. You're just like you're just in the thick of it and you're just like, I just need to climb a bit higher and I'll get this thing done. But truly, I mean, I I know I like to dream big. (laughs) Um, I really want to find a way for us to scale and replicate our programs all around the world. I think that there's no reason why the model of community-led programs um, or even just kind of accessible and inclusive, easy, hey, this is what hiking is, this is what skiing is, and this is how you get into it. Those kinds of access points, I really would love to see She Jumps continue to be able to grow that. But really importantly, um, I definitely believe in you know a rising tide lifts all ships. And I really want She Jumps to continue to be really a bridge for affinity groups. So I want for our scholarship programs to continue to grow, but as well for um us to be an access point that then amplifies other community organizations and groups working with underrepresented identities, um, you know, making sure that we're there to really like all work together as a coalition and never be siloed. Because as we've learned in the ski industry and in the outdoor industry, the more that you kind of try to approach a problem with a one size fits all uh, mindset, it's just, it's not going to really work for everybody, <laughs> I think.
0: Thank you for answering that question, because when people ask me that, I mean, I don't run a nonprofit, but running just my own operation and small business, I'm like, right now, I'm just like struggling to get through this week. And I'm like, I can't even think about like the next week. Like I just have to do what's in front of me. So um, yeah, so that's super cool. And it is important, I think, even when we are in the thick of it to keep our eye on the bigger vision and to like keep setting big goals, because that's what will get us through, I think, you know.
1: Absolutely. And the skills too. like of that, even just being in the thick of it, though, it's kind of funny that sometimes you can beat yourself up and be like, what are our goals? And I don't know. And which, where are we going? Who's driving this train? And like, you kind of, it's one foot in front of the other. It's just like climbing a mountain. You know, you just kind of, you have those moments when you're like, I'm never going to make it. And then look at that. All of a sudden you're on the saddle and then all of a sudden you're on the peak and you get there. And it's like, woo. We're here. I know.
0: But mountain climbing, it's just it's a different grind sometimes with the small business, especially in COVID times. But um but yeah, I I appreciate the metaphor for sure. <laughs> it's been hard. Do you ever get to take a vacation?
1: Um, yeah, actually, so She Jumps has become more sustainable for me in the last three years. And this is actually like probably the real deal talk about running a nonprofit is like, I mean, I worked without a paycheck for over 10 years. Like, I was the volunteer executive director, I worked as a private chef at Alta, uh, the Wildcat Chalet. Shout out to Bob Allen, my mentor and chef that I worked for for a long time. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, like that whole experience of the blood, sweat, and tears of doing it, and then kind of finally getting into a place where it was like, okay, if we're going to do this, we have to have a staff, we have to make it sustainable and, and and really equitable, which we're not quite there yet, but we're getting really close. And so, yeah, for me with ski jumps, like that's kind of part of like finding that balance with skiing. It's like I have to find a way to reset myself so that I can come back to the work and lead the organization. And so to answer your question, I need a vacation. (laughs) I have taken a couple, but I definitely need one pretty soon. This last year, I can relate with you. It has been really challenging. When COVID hit, we lost $100,000 in revenue right off the bat. And we were kind of in this precipice of like, oh my God, we're almost making it. And then it was needing to pivot. But I have to say we found some silver linings and our ability to bring online programming has just like magnified this desire for us to have more accessible programs. That's like, Oh, now our Alpine development school, anyone can go anywhere. Oh, this is actually really good. And, you know, trying to figuring out how to pivot on, on all those fronts. And I know I don't have to probably tell anyone else that, but it's been a good operation and our kind of experiment in, um, or what we teach actually truly, which is just to kind of adapt and you use your skills to problem solve and, all those soft skills that you learn in the outdoors and how they translate to your everyday life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a big pivot. I'm definitely ready for like a real vacation to like actually set up an email thing. That's like, I'm going to be out of the office for these dates. <laughs> I'll get back to you. But it's, it's hard as a, you know, as when you're, I don't know, self-employed or just when you're used to like putting in the blood, sweat and tears, you know, you feel like you always have to keep that grind. And so trying to find that balance is something I'm always looking for, for sure.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And I think just like kind of giving yourself permission though, to do that a few years ago, I had to like teach myself how to relax one day a week where like, I didn't, sometimes if I wouldn't want to do anything, I would just not do anything because the burnout is, is real. And if you don't take care of, I mean, I, I'm sure you know that. Like, if you don't take care of yourself and check out when you need to, you'll end up costing yourself more in the long run. I, I feel like.
0: Yeah. I listen to my, uh, my, I have a running coach now, or he helps me with my training plans. And, and he, on his podcast, he and his, his wife, who's also a, a doctor and a coach, um, they said, like, if you have a lot of balls in the air, sometimes you're going to drop some. And that's helped me, like, as a coping mechanism to just realize, like, you're juggling, you're gonna screw up sometimes and just to be okay with like the balls dropping, falling all over. So yeah.
1: <laughs> My board chair actually, um, so which is really cool, like the leadership of the board of directors of She Gems has evolved so much, and that's been one of the ways, like ways I've been able to be really supported and the organization has grown so much. But she told me the same thing about the balls in the air, but when she took it a step further and said, All you have to do is identify which ones are crystal. Mm. And which ones are maybe like rubber or like, you know, you can drop them, you can pick them back up later, but just what are the ones that you absolutely have to keep up in the air? Because in the nonprofit world, we say you can do three things a year. So like, if the fourth thing comes up, you got to be like, all right, which of these other three things are we not going to do anymore? And then you kind of like reestablish your priorities.
0: That's a really good metaphor, actually, for other for projects, like for individuals, like for athletic goals, too, because, yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Some of the balls are like diamonds and some are bags of dog poop.
1: Yeah, (laughs) which we could throw the dog poop. We don't need that.
0: We don't need that. That's so funny. No, I love that. That's great. Okay. So what's on your bucket list for ski adventures?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, ski adventure as well. I mean, I am one of those people that like, I'll just ski anywhere, anytime. Like if there's a plan, I'm like, I'm game. Like I just love to ski that much. But in terms of actual bucket list, uh, a few years ago, actually the day before I tore my ACL, I was up at Lake Louise uh, and we were on our way to ski the Amor Kular and that's, and I, and I we got turned around and that is on my bucket list. Like I need to, now that I live in Canada, like the Amor Coming for you.
0: That and then I also, line. Yeah, have, you done, have you skied it? No, but that line. And so, just to give you guys a picture, a mental picture, not you guys, but folks out there, a mental picture. It's like the pictures of. It's Lake, Mer- wait, what is the lake again that it's behind? Moraine Lake. Moraine Lake. So it's like this super iconic Instagram backdrop of like all the influencers go there to take pictures and the couloir is right behind in all their pictures. And it's one of the 50 classic ski descents of North America. It has been on my bucket list for a long time. Maybe we should is, ski
1: it together. I, if only it. I could
0: go to, key, when. just tell me when the border's open and I'll be there. Okay. Like <laughs> that is like so high on my bucket list. That is such an iconic line, and I love. Well, obviously, like I love Kular skiing. I feel like we both yeah. do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, well, it's amazing. I mean, it's pretty. Like, you're, once you're in it, you're in it. You know, it's kind of like you're you're piking up. It's it's. Anyway, I I can't wait to do that again. It was actually yeah. It was a it was a sore subject that we got turned around. You know, and of course, as it is, but sometimes that's just how it goes. But you can stare at it from Lake Louise, and everyone can see this thing. It's just this like gash in the side of the mountain. And it looks like a paint brush stroke almost like it's oh my crazy. gosh so, it's yeah.
0: so beautiful it's such a pretty line that's super cool so that's on your bucket list that's Was on, there something on my bucket else? List. yes
1: I've never done a traverse so I actually need to get that going because now I live in Canada the land of the traverses so I need, I want to do like the WAPTA, which is kind of, I think a a more kind of beginner, good introductory one. So that's next on my list. And then as soon as I can travel again, my big thing is I've always wanted to ski the Lanín volcano and on the border between Argentina and Chile. So that is this like, yeah, I don't know. Have you ever been down there? Have you ever skied that? I haven't. In that area?
0: I haven't no I mean I've skied a little bit I, it's been a while since I've skied in Chile or Argentina I've skied Peru and Ecuador and Mexico That's right yeah, yeah but I I haven't um i I really would love to go back to Chile this summer if possible
1: I know I and so it's right outside of Pucan Chile um and yeah I, I've I've tried to ski it before didn't make it so it's like right on the border between Argentina and Chile like literally if you didn't have a rental car you would like take the bus as if you were going to Argentina and like drop off the bus at the border checkpoint and then like start hiking which is kind of cool so that's cool. that's on the
0: on the bucket list Wow you have some great dreams I might yeah I definitely share some of those similar goals and um yeah I'd love to link up and make some turns sometime and yeah so please keep in touch about how we can support all the great work you're doing with She Jumps and I just can't I don't know. I, I'm just, thank you so much for what you're putting out there into the ski and snow world because it's so needed. It's so necessary. And thank you for staying the course, you know, because it can be really easy. It, it's frustrating sometimes to trying to be creating these changes and it's easy to give up. And so it's awesome to see just like the power of showing up over and over and over and just staying the course for so. like, yeah, it's really powerful. And I just, I'm so much. Thank such you. a fangirl. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I
1: mean, yeah, it is what, that is what it is. It's, it's showing up every day. And that's what we try to teach in our programs and our courses too, is like, you know, you can always be a beginner and that's okay. And it's just about having fun. So just get out there and have fun.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Claire. I really, really appreciate having the opportunity to connect. Yeah. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Caroline. Yeah. Have a great rest of your day. You too. I am resilient. Trust the movement, I negate the chaos, uplift the negative. I'll show up at the table again and again and again. I'll close my mouth and learn to listen. Special thanks to Avery Sandak for his help with the audio on today's episode. To my partner Robley for being extra quiet while I'm recording in the house today. And to Rising Appalachia for graciously providing the music for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate and review it so other people can find it. Until next time.